You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. I want you to do me a favor and turn to Mark chapter 10. As you're turning there, I'm going to talk about Pastor Sergio and uh, our team here at the church. Our team did another um, adopt-a-block outreach at Pocorn and prayed with 150 people, men, women, and children, gave away several hundred backpacks. And, man, we're going to take the rest of those backpacks. we got a plan for them. We're going to give them to our kids because we always take care of our own, right? that don't have the finances that need a backpack. And then we're going to take a lot of those backpacks and take them to take them also to some of our elementary schools and give the principals uh, 10 or 11 whatever backpacks so that they can give them out as the kids come back in August so that, you know, because they know some kids show up that we don't get to, no one gets to, but they show up maybe at the last minute, maybe they just moved in, uh, and they don't have any supplies. And, uh, man, I, I, I never want to be, I, I've been the kid that showed up because I moved so many times uh, in my early life, I showed up in class, and I was the kid that didn't have everything I needed. And, man, it's kind of embarrassing when they say, pull out your, this eraser. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't have that. Pull out this protractor. Most of you don't even know what a protractor is anymore, but pull out. But it's a, little, it's a crazy, I never liked it. But I, I had one. It's a good weapon. I don't know about math but for math, but don't, I, didn't, I didn't even understand how you used it in math. But I had a protractor. It's, you sound intelligent. I got a protractor here. But, but, you know, I just, I don't, I was the kid sometimes that, because we moved so much and there was always different stuff that I didn't, I mean, I was always embarrassed. Like, I don't have that. I don't have that. and I can't pull that out of my desk. And, and man, I don't want any kid to feel that. And so we're going to try our best to make sure no child feels that this year. Amen. And so, uh, anyway, it was a great outreach, and we're going to continue to reach out and, and continue to reach our community. So, man, God is just, he's just so good. You know, on my journey, on my journey, I was out there because there was needs. You know, God says he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll, he'll satisfy some of your wants if you dedicate them to him. But he said this, he said, I'll provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory. So his riches and glory, guys, when he talks about meeting people's needs, there's no bottom. He doesn't run out. His riches and glory, they don't run out. Glory is mercy and goodness. His mercy and goodness have no bottom. He just, you just keep, he's got enough for all of us. In some. He's the, he's the, he's the cup overflows God, right? And so, listen, he said, I'll provide all of your needs according to my riches and glory through Christ Jesus. I went out there because there were needs in the church. There's needs in families. There's healing needs in my family. There's healing needs in other families. There's needs. Matter of fact, Jason, where you at? Wave your hand. Where you at, Jason? Where you at? I'm looking. There's his family, his wife, the family. And baby Daniel's right there in his arms. Praise God, man. God did a miracle. They diagnosed him with it. I think they gave him every diagnosis they could come up with. And he's healed today, and none of it was true. So, it's a miracle, guys. It's a miracle. And then I, I prayed for him every day. I know some of you were praying for him every day, too, and I know they were praying for him every day. And I just kept speaking life over him, speaking that, hey, what the doctors say is not the final word. Our God always has the final word. And that's who we stood with. And 
Now he's here today, praise God, out of the hospital, doing great. They sent me a picture of him. He was lifting his hands and praising the Lord, little Daniel. Praise God. You got to bring him back, Jason. I want to kiss him and hug on him if, I, if I'm able to, if you let me. Um, I understand when you go through something like that, you're like, you're not, I'm not letting this kid out of my sight for a while. You know? And so I get that. But, but listen, you know, I was out there because we have some needs and families, physical. There's some relational needs. There's some stuff happening that looks impossible. But I know there's a God of the impossible. He's the God of the Bible that makes the po- impossible possible. And so I prayed all these impossibilities that doctors say, no, there's no cure, there's no this, there's no that. They say, no, there's no possibility of this happening. And, this happen- and guys, I prayed those, those impossible things out. Uh, I had a pastor tell me up in Clayton uh, when I told him what I was out there for, for the state of New Mexico, just a state. And he said, man, he shook his head. He said, that's impossible. Then he said, but, he lit up with a smile. I, I was like, I pointed at him. I said, say it. He said, but God can do the impossible. I said, that's why I'm out here. Because we have a God that can do the impossible. And so he smiled. Man, he smiled. I want to give him a high five. Like, that's, that, that's right. It looks impossible. We don't deny the impossibility. What we deny is, is that anything in the natural that says impossible is not the final word on whether it takes place or not. God has that final word, and God alone. And so we have a situation in Mark chapter 10 where God, Jesus is talking about this principle of the impossible being possible. And so I'm going to just tell you a little bit of the story, then, then read the scripture, but there's a, there's a rich guy. He's, he's, the, he's called the rich young ruler. He's got it all, man. He's got money, he's young, and he's got power. I mean, this guy's, he's living the La Vida Loco, man. He's just like, man, I'm, I'm the man. And he wants to honor God. So he comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to get saved? And Jesus, he said, Jesus starts naming a few of the commandments, and he's like, I'm, I'm in. I do all those things. It's some. But Jesus has one more thought for him. In verse 21, Jesus fixed his gaze upon the man with tender love and said to him. Now, listen, we always talk about telling the truth and love to people. Can I say, we live in a culture right now that it's almost like if you hurt someone's feelings, it is, you're so ugly. You're a hater if you hurt their feelings. You're a hater. You hate me because you hurt my feelings. You hate me because you made me mad. You're a hater because you do this. Let me tell you something. When you tell someone the truth in love and it hurts, if you reject that and you know it's true, you're in trouble. Proverbs, we talked about this at men's prayer yesterday. Proverbs said that you will end up in poverty and disgrace if you resent, if you resent any form of criticism. It doesn't mean everything everybody tells you, even in love, is true. What, it's, what the Bible's trying to teach us with wisdom and in, in word and in deed that we're to consider what people say. I've been, I get criticized, guys, on a daily basis. They're emailing, Facebooking, you know, just constant. 
But guys, I don't just blow it all off. I look and I go, is there truth to this? Whether it's meant in love or not. In Proverbs, it doesn't say it's said in love. But people who really care about you are going to say things to you in love that are going to hurt your feelings, make you mad. And you've got to decide now if what they said was true. And if it's true, you can reject it or accept it. But he said, if you reject it, you'll end up in poverty and disgrace. If you reject every form of someone trying to speak in your life. And we have now a culture that wants to shout you down. Shut up, you hater. We're not going to let you talk. We're not going to let you speak. They, they just they want to shut everybody's voice down that speaks into them. Because they say, man, you hurt my feelings. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Anybody who lives like that could not survive in the Smotherman household. Because not only will we tell you the truth in love, but we'll make fun of you if you get hurt. It's like blood in the water. It's like chum in the water for sharks. It's like, oh, you got your feelings hurt? Woo! So you got to be tough-skinned in my household. Not that we're trying to be mean to each other, but we just don't allow that kind of attitude to exist, we're going to deal with it. We're not going to walk on eggshells around everybody's feelings, especially when they're wrong. Especially when they're wrong. I never, ever spanked one of my children, not once I can say this, ever spanked one or disciplined one of my children, whether spanking or otherwise, because I hated them. I never once thought that in my mind. I hate you, and that's why I'm going to do it. Never once. I disciplined them, whether it was time out or taking the toy away, whatever it was, spanking, whatever it was, because I loved them. So, you know what? That hurts. Those things hurt when something's removed. Something's, you're disciplined. And Jesus is about to hurt this guy's feelings. But he did it in love. He did it in love. That's not my message today. This is a great lesson to learn that not everything that hurts your feelings, not everything that hurts is wrong. And we have to discern it, whether it's just it's legitimate or not criticism. How do we discern it? We, we judge it according to the word. First, go to the word. And then we ask people around us, is that true? Is that true? Sometimes Julie and I will be in a a discussion of a, who said what or who said this or how did you say this or what word did you use here and my kids will be around and we're talking about it and one of us will look and go hey did I did I say that like that <laughs> my kids man they're they're truth tellers they're like oh yeah <laughs> and I'm talking about me but it's usually Julie that's wrong <laughs> that's not true <laughs> It's usually me. Oh, someone said we know. Julie, God, you got some, you have some supporters. Now the women are getting me back for the men's thing. Now they're turning on me. But guys, listen, we, we have those discussions and you look, you seek counsel like, man, someone said this. Is this true? Is this right? And it, even though it hurt me or made me angry or made me want to be defensive, I'm not going to yield to those emotions because I just want to do what is right. That should be our attitude. We're not perfect at it, but we can be really good at that. And so Jesus said, yet there is still one thing you are lacking. 
He just said one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give the money to the poor, that all your treasure will be in heaven. After you've done this, come back and walk with me. Come follow me. Be one of my disciples. Be one of my followers. Completely shocked by Jesus' answer, he turned and walked away very sad, for he was extremely rich. Hurt his feelings. He's like, you're going to celebrate me, man. Dude, I've done all those things. Man, this is incredible. Man, I know I'm saved now because you said, but hold on a second. What? One more thing? I can do that. Well, the one thing he asked him to do was lay down his idol, which was money. He said, you idolize money, and money's more important than me, and I'm going to show you your own heart by asking you to give it all away, not, not, not 10%. Not even 80%, not 90%. You can't keep any of it. Sell it all. And he did that in love to show him that though he was obedient in all these areas since he was a child, he said, that he had developed an idol and, and that idol was money. You know, I've seen so many, I think it's interesting, this guy's rich and young because I've seen so many people make the same mistake nationally internationally when you see young I see these young men that get drafted NFL NBA whatever and they sign these huge contracts and at the beginning they're thinking man I thank God I thank Jesus they're such I'm so blessed they use all these right terms and I think they mean those things but then after a few years of being a multimillionaire now they're getting busted at a bar or a strip club or they're, they're in trouble DUI they're, they're beating up their girlfriend I mean all these things start happening to them because money entered the picture and some of you wonder, why doesn't God prosper me? Some of it's his mercy. Some of it's mercy. Because he wants you to go to heaven, and he wants you to live with some integrity and character more than he wants you to have money. Some of it's mercy. We all know the curse of the lottery. That the majority of people who win the lottery end up worse off at the end than it was at the beginning because money buys you stuff. It buys you privilege. It buys you out of, man, if you don't feel good, just go buy a new dress, buy a new car, buy a new this, and you'll feel better. Just buying something new makes you feel better. Take a trip, take a vacation, go party, go do this. Money just opens all those doors. Jesus looked at the faces in verse 23 of his disciples and said, how hard is it for the wealthy to enter into God's kingdom realm? The disciples were startled when they heard this, but Jesus again said to them, children, it is next to impossible for those who trust in their riches to find their way into God's kingdom. It's next to impossible. Then he gives a comparison. This is a little different translation in the Passion, but it's the same thought it is easier to stuff a rope through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter into God's kingdom. You know why that is, guys? Because of what I just said. Money buys you privilege. Money buys you stuff. Money opens doors for you. You can even buy friends with money. You can even buy friends with money. 
And instead of surrounding yourself with people who truly love you and care about you that speak into your life, you could surround yourself with a, by a bunch of yes men and women that just tell you what you want to hear. And that's what happens. They start eliminating any voice that says no. They start eliminating any voice, first with God, then with people. Any voice that says no, any voice that won't get on their train and say yes, yes, yes to what they're doing, not only say yes to it, but participate in it, they eliminate those people out of their life and it ends up a train wreck and Jesus said man it's almost impossible I'm telling I've warned Jesus has so many warnings to rich people I speak to millionaires guys people that are millionaires golly, I'm telling you they're in danger because money buys them the ability to not have to yield and submit or surrender to anyone or anything in this life, including God in any spiritual authority. Most wealthy, wealthy people I know, they're unsubmitted to, they'll talk about Jesus, but they're unsubmitted to any spiritual authority in their life. The ones that are, are so unique. They're unbelievably unique. But, but that's not the whole point of the story. That's a side note. Here's the rest of it. He said in verse 26, but this left them all the more astonished and they whispered to one another, then who could ever be saved? Because they equated financial prosperity with being right with God because every time in the Bible that someone was right with God, God would prosper them. Jesus looked at them and replied, with people it is impossible, but not with God. God makes... All things possible. All things possible. So what he's saying is, is the natural realm doesn't apply to God who exists in the supernatural realm, in the spiritual realm. That the spiritual impacts the natural. I said this to someone the other day, that we all think that we were born in this natural realm and then the spiritual showed up. Can I tell you something? The spiritual was here way before we were. We showed up in the spiritual realm in the natural. Not the other way around, that we showed up and all of a sudden there was a spiritual world. No, there was a spiritual world, then we showed up. We moved in to, we moved in to, to do life in that spiritual realm. They didn't move into the natural realm with us. We moved into their realm. And so God is saying, listen, it might not be possible with you, but it's definitely possible with me. These rules don't apply. The rules of, of impossibility to us don't apply. And I want to really point out to you this thing. There's improbable and then there's impossible. And I want to give you the different definitions. Improbable means not likely to happen. Improbable. And, and you don't even realize it, but the improbable happens around us and to us a lot. And people tell stories about the improbable happening. Some people will call it luck or coincidence. I call it divine appointment. Divine appointment. There's a member of our church that had a heart attack. Uh, he didn't even realize he had this major heart problem, had a heart attack. But guess what? There was a... There was a, uh, a guy who was a, a paramedic right there when it happened. I mean, standing right next to him. Then, when, and so he made a phone call. He got his buddies, 
And the fire department there fast, and then they got him to the hospital quick because like 90-something percent of all people die from this type of heart attack. Don't make it. They get on the phone. The hospital's trying to find a heart doctor. Can't find anybody. No one's answering the phones. They all were in yesterday, not in today. I mean, it looks like, because if he doesn't get a, a, a heart surgery right when he hits the door, he's not going to make it. But it just so happens that the heart doctor forgot something and what happened to be cruising through the hospital to do some administrative thing that he was just going to go in and do for a minute and leave. At the same time, his ambulance showed up and the heart doctor almost met him in the room and did the surgery right away and saved his life. Now, luck, coincidence, absolutely not. That's called a, a divine appointment. It was improbable, but it wasn't impossible to happen. We're called to live our lives in the improbable happening and the impossible happening. And the improbable takes place all the time. When I was on this journey, uh, uh, Ralph Kobos, who drove the RV this certain week, I had different teams every week, he came and he was driving the RV and we, we parked in a place and, and right next to him parked another RV. There was a bunch of RVs, RV park. Next to him was two cu a couple, both in their, one, the man was 80, I think she was 78, 79, maybe 82. And they, they were parked right next to us and they couldn't, they were going to Red River to their, they owned a cabin in Red River, but there'd been a shooting in Red River among some motorcycle gangs, and they shut Red River down for a period of time uh, to investigate the crime, and they couldn't get there, so they had to park in this RV, which they didn't plan on doing, and it just so happened they parked right next to Ralph. And Ralph just so happens to be a really friendly guy, and Ralph starts talking to him, and they get to know each other a little bit. Ralph tells them what I'm doing. Walking around the state, praying. I come out to leave in the morning, and they're there. Was you with me, Pastor Sergio? Pastor Sergio was there. And they're there, and I know God's dealing with me to do certain things, but I'm kind of in a hurry, so I, I said, let me just pray for you. And I prayed for him as a terrible prayer because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And I jump in the side-by-side. -side. Were you driving that day? And Pastor Sergio wheels me off, and we book, get to a spot, and I start walking. And I'm praying, and God's dealing with me. You didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't do what I told you to do. You didn't do what I told you. You didn't do what I told you to do. You did not do what I told you to do. And I'm like, golly, God, I'm not going back. I got to walk. I got to pray. I'm out here. I got to do this thing. And he's like, I didn't, you didn't do what I told you to do. And finally, when I didn't listen to that, he shows me this image in my mind. He shows me that couple standing there on the day of judgment, and they're weeping. And I look at them, and I immediately know they didn't make it into heaven. I immediately know. I turn around. I beeline for the side-by-side. -side. I catch up. I said, we're going back. I said, God, just show me the judgment seat and that they didn't make it. I'm not being responsible for that. I'm going back. So we, Pastor Sergio puts a pedal. He can drive fast. And so he scares me when he drives. And so he drives and he parks. And I, I prayed on the way. I said, God, please let him be outside 
<coughs> I'm going to have to knock on the door and say, hey, I forgot something and try to explain what happened. Uh, man, God, please set this up. So we pull up, and where are they at? They're standing right outside. They see us pull up, and they look and smile like, hey, what's up? I said, I, I, I immediately popped out. I said, I forgot something. They said, oh, it seems like you forgot something. I said, this is what I forgot. I didn't ask you if you wanted to go to heaven. If you need the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I didn't ask you that. And the wife immediately goes, we want to go to heaven. And he said, I do too. And I lead them in the sinner's prayer right there, and they both lit up. I mean, guys, it was the presence of God fell on that moment. And we, right after we were done, I'm like, got to go. Jumped right back in and passed Sergio booked right out of there. And then they come and talk to Ralph later, and they say, oh, my gosh, the presence of God. They'd never felt it before. They'd never prayed before. The presence, they just, they just, what did they call it? They said, they think they called it the anointing or just the presence. The presence of God was all over. Wow, they were blown away. Divine appointment improbable, they shouldn't even been there. And then to park right next to Ralph, and for him to connect, and then that to happen, and then, I mean, oh, it's improbable, but not impossible. But we're to live in the improbable all the time. We should have divine appointments. We should be speaking those in our life like, hey, the Bible's full of divine appointments. It's not no coincidence that uh, the, the guy, uh, what was his name, the guy in the tree? Zacchaeus? Huh? Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was up in that. No coincidence. No, there's no coincidence. That's not luck or coincidence. That's divine appointments set up by God to see what's going to happen because he wants something good to happen to you and others through you. Divine appointment for that doctor to be in the hospital to save his life. Divine appointment for us to be parked right next to them and them give their, at 80 years old, give their hearts to Jesus for the very first time. Never prayed in their life. Guys, we're to live like this. That should be our normal. My family knows that I pray over every vacation we take safety, that the Bible says you will go safely and return safely. I pray that scripture out. I pray the word. But I also say this. God, you said we're laborers in your harvest field. If there's anybody that needs prayer, anybody needs to know Jesus, anybody needs anything, you thrust me out in the harvest field. The word thrust means to grab you by the collar and take you. I can tell you, divine appointment after divine appointment. Driving to Oklahoma on vacation. Middle of the night. I like to drive in the middle of the night so they all go to sleep. <laughs> Julie's asleep. She's like, I'll stay up with you. And then five minutes later, <laughs> she's song longs. She didn't snore like that. It's a little louder. No, I'm kidding. It's not. But, but uh, she's out. Then all my kids, they stay up for a while, play video games, then eventually... They follow, and then I get to drive in peace. And I'm driving, it's about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe even later. We're right, we're probably 50 miles outside of town. I'm getting tired. I want to just get to, the, to, to my uh, uh, brother and sister-in-law's house and get set up and get everybody in bed and get some sleep. I've been up all day, driving all night, and then I pass a car, and it's got a flat tire, and no one else is out there, and God says, Stop! 
I said, no. He said, stop. I said, no. He said, Troy, stop. You'll regret it. But you choose. When he talks to me like that, I'm like, whoop, I'm not missing that. So I pull over. Wake up, Julie. I said, Julie's like, what's up? Well, I didn't have to wake her up. Anything happens. She's like, what, 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 what? So she wakes up. I tell her, listen, there's a car back there. I'm supposed to stop. I said, but I don't know what's up. It's pitch black. There's no other cars out here. So I'm going to back up down the shoulder, and I'm going to stop pretty far away. You get in the driver's seat. Anything happens to me, just take off. Call the police. Take off. Because I don't know what's up here. So we do that. I walk back there. I find like three women and three or four kids with a flat tire and no jack. And the wife says to me, my husband and the men were in the front vehicle. They didn't see us pull off, and they took off. And my husband's a mechanic, but he forgot to put a jack in us. A, uh, a lug nut, uh, uh, what is it called, a tire iron in, the, in my car. She kind of made a face like, this is pretty normal. Fixes everybody else's car, but not my car. <laughs> and so she's, so I, I'm like, okay. I got to back up further, get my, get my stuff out, jack the car. You know, I, I first of all, I, I have the perfect, the, uh, uh, wrench or whatever, uh, to take the, the, the lug nuts off. I'm sorry, I don't, can't remember. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So I, I take, I, I, it's the perfect one. It fits there. It fits theirs perfectly, their lug nuts perfectly. I take it off, and I, then I, my jack fits perfectly, and it just works perfect. But I'm, I go to work. I'm like, okay, boo, I, just, I just start going. And they're, they're standing behind me, all the ladies watching, and they're, just, they're, they're saying thank you so much, and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. Just leave me alone. I'm getting this done. I'm getting back. I got to go. And so I'm doing it. And then the Lord starts dealing with me. He said, I didn't pull you over to change their tire. I said, well, Lord, don't you want me to change your tire? He said, I want you to, but that's not my main reason. He said, I want you to talk to them about Jesus. I said, Lord, I'm in a hurry. You have conversations like that? Yes. I'm in a hurry. He said, talk to them. I said, I talk about Jesus all day long on vacation. He said, did you pray? I said, okay, I prayed. Yes. I said, hey, do you ladies? I don't even turn around. You ladies know Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, you kids do? I'm still working, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling that. I'm putting that spare on. And, man, and they, they all said, uh, there was just dead quiet for a few seconds. And then one of them finally spoke and said, none of us do. That got my attention. So I, I'm on my knees doing this. I turn around. I said, okay. Do you want to know him? Because it's got to be a choice. I said, here's what he's done for you. He loves you. Do you want to know him? Yes, yes, yes. The kids are like, absolutely yes. So I led them in the sinner's prayer. They received Jesus. They just began to weep. And I turn around and go, you cry, I'll, ch I'll fix this time. <laughs> I loved on them. Right about that time, here comes the men. 
I said, thanks, fellas. No, I didn't. I, I hugged on the, them and got in my car and took off, and God said, listen, that was an improbable situation where there's only a couple cars out on that road, me and them and a couple others, a bunch of men that weren't paying attention to their women breaking down. And, and, but it was a divine appointment, improbable but not impossible for that to happen. We should live in these moments all the time. Because Jesus did, we should. And we should be expecting these moments. But God also wants us when we face situations where the doctor says, or facts say, absolutely not going to happen. That we have faith in our Father That's not the final word. That God does what is impossible for us is possible with Him. And we don't just live in the improbable, we live in the impossible. Let me, let me just give you a principle real fast. Then I'm done. But in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah's a young man, very young, teenager. Teenagers, listen. And God spoke to him and said, I created you to be a prophet for Israel, and you're going to begin to speak. And he began to speak as a teenager all these prophecies, and none of them were good. I mean none. So people would mock him, like, you're young and you're stupid, and what are you talking about? And the king hated him because he's speaking all this stuff because they were living in sin. And he's like, but if you repent, good things will happen. And then God said, now tell them what's going to happen if they don't. And he'd, he'd spend most of his time telling them what happened. And he finally told God, he said, this is why I have these conversations. He said, God, I'm tired of being the prophet that's always giving bad news. Can you possibly give me some good news? And God said, you say what I want you to say. And none of this is good because they won't repent. They won't turn to me. And he said, I'm not going to do it anymore. God said, oh, really? And then he said, oh, man, but it was like fire shot up. I could not stay quiet. I just had to speak. And then he never had that conversation again. You got to understand this is a relationship. So he continued to speak, and he spoke that Babylon was coming to destroy Israel. Destroy Israel and destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple, destroy everything. Kill their women, their children, take them as slaves, the ones that they let live. And Babylon comes, and they take over all of Israel except Jerusalem, but they're building a siege ramp. Instead of digging through these massive walls and fighting through these massive walls, they start building, they take rocks, wood, everything, start building a ramp up over the top of the wall, and they're just about completed the wall. When God comes to Jeremiah, who's being held captive in the king's court, he's got him in prison for speaking what he speaks, and he's, he's got him in prison, and God comes to him and says, in 70 years, you prophesied, Jeremiah, in 70 years, I'm going to get them out of Babylon and bring them home. Jeremiah said, okay, I'll prophesy. So he did. And then God said, now I'm sending your cousin to this prison. He's going to be here, and he's going to tell you, you need to buy this field, and in front of everybody, sign the title. 
put it in a jar and seal it and go hide it. In front of everybody, do it. The guards, any of the other people in the courtyard, everybody, you sign it in front of everybody that you're buying land at the same time Babylon has destroyed Israel, taken it captive. They own everything. They're not going to honor that title at all, and they're about to destroy Jerusalem and tear down the temple. They're going to they're work this place. It's going to be Babylonian owned and destroyed here in just a few days. But you buy land. You buy land that they're not going to honor. And right after he told them that, his cousin came walking in and said, hey, you got to buy some land. He said, okay. And he bought it, signed it in front of everybody. And those people are like, you're an idiot. He just got money out of you when all this is going to belong to the Babylonian king. None of this is going to belong to us. It's not going to belong to you. God needed one person in order to bring them back in 70 years. He needed one person that would step out in faith. I took a, thousands of steps for the impossible to become possible. He needed one person, somebody to step out in faith and make a statement that I'm buying this land in faith that in 70 years that land will be given back to my family. Jeremiah stepped out in faith and bought land when it was about to all be owned by the Babylonians in front of everybody. He took a step of faith. God needed one somebody to take a step of faith. He's looking for somebody to take a step of faith and say, I'm your huckleberry. You don't know what that's a reference to, but you, you need to watch cowboy movies. I, I'm, I'm your woman. I'm your man. I'll take that step of faith. Believing that what you said a thousand years ago will come to pass today in 2023. I'll believe for a miracle. I'll believe that what they say is impossible is possible. I'll take that stand with you, Father. I'll take that stand with you in faith and believe that you will move like you did yesterday. You'll move today. And you'll move tomorrow. Man, this is just the introduction to this. Oh, man, I got some stuff. But we're done, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and Remove distractions and just think about your life. The God that does the impossible can do something incredibly impossible right now in you. He's going to cause you to be, if you don't know him, if you'll accept him as Lord with your heart and say it out of your mouth. But it has to be a heart decision, not just an emotional one, not just a mental ascension to what God wants to do. Not just a desire just to, to go to heaven, but to surrender your life to him. From the inside out. You won't be perfect at it, but God will teach you how to be good at it. That's why we lift our hands in worship. Because when the police show up and you're doing something, they say, put your hands up. What are you doing? You're surrendering. Come out with your hands up. That's an act of surrender. God's asking you to trust him. Surrender your life to him and start living out the improbable, the divine appointments. 
that he created you for. Every human being in the womb and out is valuable. To God, we're all priceless. He gave his one and only son, his only begotten son. He gave his, his special treasure. There's only one of a kind that he gave his, his, his most prized possession, his most prized uh, thing. He gave us Jesus. He's priceless. And now he's saying, your price is priceless. And every human being online and in here has value. You have value. He created you on purpose, for a purpose. But pastor, I was raised this way, or I have this situation, or that thing. God is the God of the, that turns the impossible to possible. He turns situations around. He, he changes things. He takes your hurt and makes it ministry. He takes your pain and heals it and, you help, and, desi- and creates you to help other people heal from pain. He takes things that were designed to destroy you and turns them around and builds your, your life and His kingdom in your life and through you. You were created on purpose for a purpose. But you'll never find it until you surrender to the one who created you and the one who created you on purpose and created you for a purpose. You'll never, ever discover that. If you've never prayed, let's pray. If you prayed before and you just keep running away and walking away, come back with a full heart. Like, what do I mean by that? Come back and say, God, I'm coming back. I'm sorry for running away. I'm sorry for turning my back on you. I'm sorry for picking partying or money or this thing or that thing over you. I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I choose you. You're first. You're most. I'm coming home to you. So whether it's your first time or next time and you want to pray online, I'm going to ask you right now, if you want to pray online, first time or next time, I don't care if it's this Sunday you're watching this live or it's next Sunday or next Thursday, whenever it is, this is a divine appointment, appointment for you, improbable but not impossible. Right now, send us a message, say I'm praying for the first time or the next time. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you, if that's you, you want to pray and get right with God, to raise your hand and say, it's me, it's me, it's me. And then after you put your hand down and after they send that message, we're all going to pray together right where you're seated. So right now, send that message online. Right here, right now. If you want to pray and leave here knowing that you're right with God, that you're right with the one who created you, and you, you're seeking now, you're on the path to discovering your, what your created purpose was and is still. I don't care if you're 80 or 100 or 8 or 5 or 13. It doesn't matter. God will start right where you are and can do amazing things through your life. You have to surrender. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, it's me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this room. Wow, that's incredible. So online and here, let's all pray together. If you raised your hand, this has got to be a heart. I made a heart decision at 18. My wife made a heart decision at five. I know people made heart decisions at 60. My dad made a heart decision at 62. I mean, it doesn't matter what age or where you're at. 
your circumstances. You make a heart decision. What I mean by that, I never, I didn't turn back from this decision. I, I don't care how bad I messed it up. I don't care how bad people messed with me. I never turned back from this decision. That's the heart decision. I was going to serve Jesus no matter what I did or they, the others did. That's the hard decision. So here you go. Let's pray now. Say, God, come on, let's say, God, I believe you love me. And because you do, you sent Jesus to die for my sins. You raised him from the dead because death cannot hold him down did all of that to rescue us to rescue me I ask you to forgive me for my sins and I receive your forgiveness and I say to you Jesus out of my mouth and from my heart you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. You surrendered your whole life for me. I surrender my life for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the Holy Spirit living in me right now. Teach me now how to live the life you came to give me to the full. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.